Well, over the next several weeks, we're going to be in a, in a series called Forgotten. The Forgotten People of the Bible. We're going to be looking at some of them. And uh, as we always say, it's, it's always a good Sunday to bring someone to Westridge. But I want to just say this over the next several Sundays. I would say that probably every single one of you knows someone who has maybe feels like they have been forgotten by God. Maybe they've been put on a shelf. Maybe they're being ignored. Uh, they just feel that way, even though we know it's not true. And so many of you feel that way yourselves this morning, or just that, that, that you're struggling with something this morning where the lies are, are greater than the truth in your heart. And so it'd be a great, great time right now to bring some of those friends and just say, hey, come to Westridge with me. We're going to be looking at, at our pastors, looking at some characters in the Bible who oftentimes we may look at and, and look at as forgotten people or obscure or people that maybe even themselves felt like they were put on the shelves. And that's one of the things that I love so much about this book is that it's just filled with stories of how God uses ordinary people to accomplish his will. It's just, when you think about God's story of redemption for mankind, he didn't, he didn't use the wealthy, he didn't use the famous, he didn't use people that came from a, a royal bloodline. He just used the common. He used the average. He used the normal. And for a guy like me who just was born and grew up my first four years off a seven mile off of downtown Detroit, I'm thankful for that. And for those of us out here in the middle of nowhere, Georgia, aren't we thankful for that, that God just uses ordinary common people to just accomplish his will and his purposes in, in our times? But if you think about the Bible for a moment, even if you don't have a church background, you'll probably know, I mean, if you've never been to church or haven't been in a long time, you've probably heard of the names like Abraham and David and Moses and Esther and Mary and Joseph and the, some of the great apostles, Peter and Paul. And even though uh, these are just normal people that, that you know, God chose to use, we've almost taken them and elevated them to, to some kind of superhero status over the years. I mean, to think of having the faith of an Abraham or the courage of a David or even an Esther or the boldness of a Paul almost seems unattainable to, to us. I mean, these are the giants of the faith. These are the saints. We tend to, to think that these people, and they probably do, have a special standing, a special place in heaven. And then we could even go down to maybe even a, sec, a second tier, to people like an Elijah or a, uh, an Isaiah or a Jeremiah. And, and they may not be household names uh, you know, for us, but their faith and courage almost seem to be at this level that's almost unachievable to some of us. I mean, they had this special level of faith that we go, I could never be like that. That's why I like to sometimes stop at characters that we don't talk about a lot, people that we don't even recognize their names, maybe a, a Gideon or a Deborah or a Boaz or someone like an Aaron or a, a Jonathan, characters in, in, in the Bible who, who were just, they weren't just normal, average, everyday people, but they were, they were people who were obscured. I mean, they're, they're almost forgotten names in the Bible. They're, they're, they're not widely known by name. They're, 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 they're not readily noticed or seen. In the Bible, they're almost out of sight and hidden. And yet those are the folks that we can relate to probably the most because not one of them parted a Red Sea, not one of them conquered a giant with a sling and a stone or gave birth to a Messiah. They just simply lived lives of obedience and demonstrated a few moments of faith and God included their names in the book. Now, even though you might have to look in the concordance to find some of these folks, the Bible is just still, it's, it's full of no-name people that God just decided to use in, in the story of, 
of the redemption of mankind. And you know what? I love that because it's just a great reminder that you don't have to be a super Christian to be used by God. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to certainly be perfect. You don't have to have a bunch of degrees hanging on your wall or have graduated from Bible college. You don't have to be a super talent. God can use the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. God can take a person who was born into a family that no one's ever heard of, that comes from a place that no one cares about, and can use them today for his purposes in our time. And over the next few weeks, we want to take a look at some of these folks, some of the characters in the Bible who are oftentimes the forgotten characters in the story. And we want to study their stories. And my hope is that you will find yourself and find your life in one of these characters. And that one of your stories, one of their stories may inspire you to to step out and to allow God to use you to accomplish his purposes for your life in your lifetime. Well, this morning we want to take a look at one of these characters, just a a no-name guy in the Bible, a guy who demonstrated some amazing courage, some extraordinary faith, and and yet was overshadowed, and yet even somewhat overlooked because of another guy by the name of Joshua. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses actually introduces us to this guy. His name is Caleb. Now, who was Caleb? Well, the Bible says very simply in Numbers chapter 13, verse 6, he was from the tribe of Judah. Caleb was the son of Yephunneh. Now, who in the world is Yefuna? I have absolutely no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about him except that he was from the tribe of Judah and he was Caleb's dad. But his one son, Caleb, is described six different times as a man who followed the Lord with his whole heart. In Numbers 14, 24, it says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, and has followed me fully. He says, I will bring him into the land which he went, and his descendants, his descendants shall possess it. Now, in Deuteronomy 1, the Lord told Moses that because of their unfaithfulness, not just him, but because of the unfaithfulness of the entire older generation of the nation of Israel, that not one of them would see the promised land. All of the older folks that crossed over the Red Sea came out of Egypt. None of them are going to see the land of Canaan. Except for, in Deuteronomy one thirty six, except Caleb, the son of Yephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and to his children, I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Now think about this for a moment. Out of all of the people of Israel that came out of Egypt, which was probably around two million people, God told Moses that only Caleb, and then he adds Joshua to the list, they're going to be the only ones from their generation that are going to actually experience it. And then he promises Caleb and his whole family a big chunk of the promised land to call his own. Now how could God look at one man differently than anyone else during that time? Why would God choose to allow Caleb and Joshua to be the only ones of their generation to actually not just see the promised land, but to actually enter into it? Well, let's go back in time for just a moment. In the book of Numbers, chapter 13, 40 years before Joshua would actually lead the Israelites to cross over the Jordan River and enter into this land called Canaan, which is otherwise known as the Promised Land, God issued an order to Moses to send 12 spies into the land. Now, remember, they've never, no one has ever been into the land of Canaan. They just heard about it. And God's instructions to Moses were to choose a man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to send them into Canaan to spy out the land. And as part of this special ops group, Moses chooses Joshua and Caleb. 
And Moses gives them very specific orders. Go through the Negev, go into the hill country, and bring back a report. Tell me what the land is like. Tell me if the people are strong or weak. Tell us how many, of the, uh, how many folks there are. Tell us if the cities have walls around them. Tell us about the, the ground conditions. We want to know if we can grow our fruits and vegetables and whether our animals will be able to, to feed on the, on the vegetation. Tell us about the trees. And then bring us back some fruit. Bring us some grapes, if you would. And the Bible says that when the spies completed this covert operation, they returned to Moses. And ten spies gave a negative report. They told Moses, yes, the land is good. It flows with milk and honey. But then they go on into verse 28. They said, however, the people who dwell in the land, they're strong. And the cities are fortified and and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. These ten spies, they are, they're scared to death. They're overwhelmed by the strength of the people that they saw, especially the descendants of Anak. They were frightened by the size of the walls that surrounded the cities, every one of them except for two men, Joshua and Caleb. Now, when you think of the great leader that Joshua was, you would, you would think that he would be the first one to speak out against these 10 spies and, and, and against all of the fear and negativity that they were spreading throughout Israel. But it wasn't him, it was Caleb. Caleb challenged the report of the other 10 spies. Look at his response. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, listen, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. How could he say that? Well, let's, keep, let's go on. Then the men who had gone up with him, said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They're stronger than we are. And so they brought the people to to Israel, a, a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is is a land that devours its own inhabitants and all of the people that we saw in it are of great height. And we actually saw the Nephilim, the son of Annex, who, who, who come from the Nephilim, and, and, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Now, there's a lot of speculation about the Nephilim. I mean, we, we, we know about the Nephilim from the story of Noah. If you saw the recent movie that came out, which was really a bad dis- depiction of the whole life of Noah, and these Nephilim were like rock creatures. There's no not rock creatures in the Bible, by the way. However, we look at the Nephilim, and there's speculation. Were they giants? Were they fallen were these sons of fallen angels that had, had mated with humans? We really don't know. It just, but it seems like they had some kind of superhuman power. But regardless, as soon as the people heard the negative report of these ten spies, they start wailing out loud. And they protest against Moses and Aaron. And they start to, not only to complain to God, but they start to complain about God. And what does Caleb do? He and Joseph, or excuse me, Joshua, begin to tear their clothes. Now, I love when Old Testament people get all upset, don't you? Because it always seems like they just start ripping their clothes off. I mean, going to McDonald's, I want a Big Mac fries and a Coke. What do you mean you don't have any special sauce? <laughs> they start ripping their clothes off. But in Numbers 14, verse 7, it says, And they said to all of the congregation, and they've ripped their clothes, Listen, the land which we passed through it to spy out, It's a good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are like bread for us. 
Their protection is removed from them. God's not with them. And if the Lord is with us, do not fear them. And here's Caleb and Joshua pleading with the Israelites, don't fear them. God's not with them. He's with us. God's already promised us victory. He's already promised us this land. Can you just see them pleading with the people? Do not give in to this fear. Do not turn against God, but it doesn't work. Verse 10, we see that all the congregation said to stone them with stones. The people got so upset with Joshua and Caleb that they started to threaten to stone them to death. This spirit of fear and and negativity and this critical spirit was so heavy on these people that they begin to get a little bit irrational. Have you ever been around a group of Christians that get negative and get a little, little crazy with a critical spirit? I mean, they can do and say some pretty irrational things. I don't know if you've ever been to a bad church meeting. 18 years, we don't have these here, by the way but I've been to some bad ones. I mean, people, Christian people can get a little crazy sometimes. And these people were getting ready to kill God's men until God decides it's time to show up. It's time to make a personal appearance. And it says, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all of the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than them. What's going on here? God shows up in person. And when he does, he's not happy. He is so fed up and he is so angry with this negative critical, complaining spirit that he just simply says, and this is my interpretation, I've had enough, it's time for a beat down. I'm going to start over. Have you ever been in a bad situation before where everybody is just complaining and whining and critical and you just wish God would show up and just say, I've had enough, now stand back while I put a whooping on these people? (laughs) Amen. Some of you are going, that's my house last night. I was having a bad moment. I was praying that God would... I was in, Amy and I were in the airport a few years ago in Orlando, and there were these two kids that were just giving their mom a, that giving her the business. And she finally looked at them and she said, I'm going to tell you something. I will take you out and I'll make two more just like you if you don't calm down. <laughs> I swear. It was one of, I was waiting for someone to say this to these two kids. But this is what's happening in the story. God tells Moses, I'm done with these whiners. I've had all I can stand. Now stand back while I wipe them out and start over with a brand new group of people. This is one of the most interesting places in the Bible to me. Moses steps in and he pleads with God and he tells God, listen, for the sake of your own reputation among the other nations, please consider sparing these people. I know you've had enough. God, other nations, especially the the Egyptians who just watched you do an amazing miracle They watched you deliver your people across the Red Sea. They're going to think that you're not able to deliver these people if you just wipe them out. And God says, all right, I will do this, but because of their unbelief and their failure to obey me, the adult generation of the Israelites, they will never see the promised land. And then he pronounces that they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Only their children would be able to enter the land. So if you were an older person by that time, you, you just put the clock on. You know the, bo- the best you have is 40 years. That's it. You're going to die. Except two men, Joshua and Caleb. 
because of their willingness to obey God, because of their faith, because of their, their belief in God's promise, because of they, were, they were fully devoted to God, they would not die in the, in the wilderness. God says they will be allowed to enter the land of Cana, Can- Canaan. Now, I want to jump forward 45 years to Joshua chapter 14. If you have a Bible, let's go there. 45 years from this moment, Joshua chapter 14, the Israelites... And Joshua have crossed over the Jordan River. They've conquered Jericho. The walls have fallen down. They've conquered a nation called Ai. They've conquered every other land that that they could have gotten to and defeated. Most of the rest of the land of Canaan. And God finally tells Joshua, I want you to divide the land. He says, I want you to take it. And here's what we know from modern-day Lebanon to Jordan to Syria all the way down to Egypt. Give it out. Start divvying it out. Now, we know that before they ever crossed over the Jordan River, Moses and Joshua actually divided some of the land up between the uh, tribes of, of uh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. They had already received their inheritance. But we get into to chapter 14, and Joshua begins to divvy out the rest of the land amongst the 12 tribes. And he begins to sort things out. And as he's doing it, Caleb all of a sudden enters the picture again. He has waited 45 years for this one moment. And here's what he says. And again, this is my paraphrase. Joshua, my friend, listen. I was 40 years old when God sent you and me on that spy mission. And I brought back my report and I gave it with conviction. Even though everyone else's hearts melted in fear, I never, I never stopped trusting God. And Joshua, on that day, if you remember, Moses told me that because I followed God with my whole heart, I'd get a piece of this land. And now I'm 85 years old. And I'm still as strong as I was when I was on that spy mission with you 40 years ago. And I can still fight just as well as I could back then, Joshua. So you see that hill country over there where you and I have been before? I want that. That's the place that Moses sent us to 45 years ago. And I want it. And the people of Anak, yep, they still live there. Those are the same folks that caused our brothers and our sisters to shrink in fear 45 years ago. And their cities are still strong and their walls are still just as big as they were 45 years ago. And the people are still just as big and still as mean and still as ugly. But with the Lord on my side, this old man can still put a beat down on them. So with all due respect, Joshua, give me what was promised to me. Give me my land. Can you picture this scene for a moment? Here's 85-year-old Caleb. When we're introduced to him back in the book of Numbers, the Bible said he had a different spirit. Now, what does that mean? This man's a warrior. And now he's standing before his leader and his friend Joshua saying, give me a piece of them, Joshua. I've been waiting 45 years to go up on that hill and to whoop those giants. And for 45 years, Caleb has been chomping at the bit. He wants a piece of the Anakites. And finally, Joshua gives him what he's promised. How did God reward Caleb? Look at verse 13. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron Hebron to, uh, to Caleb, the son of Yephunah, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Yephunah, the Kezanite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. God gave him the hill country. It was a place called Hebron. 
If you look on the map of Israel today, Hebron is located 23 miles south of Jerusalem. Today, it's mostly populated by Palestinians. But to the Jews, it is the second most holy place they have because they believe that it's the burial place of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah. But here's a guy that lived in Joshua's shadows for 45 years. If you look at all of those great stories in Joshua and the battles that took place because of Joshua's leadership, you never see Caleb's name until this moment. He's almost like a forgotten man. And yet God still said about him that he was a man that followed me with his whole heart. He was just a man who was faithful to his wife, to his kids, to whatever God had called him to do. And I'm sure as they were standing in that moment, Joshua probably went back on his mind, in his mind and he remembered that moment that he and Caleb stood and cried out to the masses for them to calm down. He probably remembered that it was Caleb that had the courage to speak up first and to defend God's plan. And I'm sure Joshua realized that Caleb had supported him faithfully for 45 years with no jealousy, with no resentment, just support. And we read immediately that Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him the land that God had promised to give him as an inheritance. Warren Wearsby says that Caleb was a man of spiritual vision and spiritual vitality, and these two qualities led him to spiritual victory. But listen, he was also a man of action, because if you look ahead to Joshua chapter 15, verse 13 and 19, you read about Caleb and his family marching through Hebron, defeating the Anakites. Now I'll tell you something. There are some great stories. There are some great principles that we can pull from this whole story. First of all, let me tell you, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are in life, God never forgets his promises. He is still faithful. God always honors his promises. It doesn't matter whether it takes him a day, whether it takes him a year, 10 years, or 45 years. You can trust that God is good to his word. Caleb's obedience was honored and rewarded even though it was 45 years later. God never, ever forgot the promises that he made to Caleb. God never forgets what he says he'll do. You listen, you may feel that sometimes that God may have forgotten to you, may, may have forgotten you, that maybe his promises aren't true for you. Maybe they're true for everyone else in this room, but for whatever reason, they're not true for you. I want you to know that God honors faithful obedience. You may, you may feel like a nobody, a forgotten man or woman. You may feel like you've been overlooked or overshadowed by someone else. Maybe like Caleb, you're getting up there in years. Listen, God still sees you and he has not forgotten you. I would imagine that when God chose Mo- Joshua to be the next leader after Moses, it might have stung Caleb just a little bit. Caleb may have had a few moments where, you know, weak moments where he was wondering why he was being overlooked. He may have wondered if God was ever going to live up to his promise. But God says that Caleb still followed God with his whole heart. He, he waited on this promise for God to come through. And when it was all said and done, God came through. Matter of fact, Joshua 14 and 15 is, is Caleb's moment. He was 85 years old when it happened, but God gave him his day in the sun. When the land was being all divvied out, Caleb stepped into the, out of the shadows and he just reminded Joshua five times that God had promised him a piece of land. God had promised him the region of Hebron and Caleb never forgot it. Listen, God will reward us 
for our faithful obedience. Some of that reward may come in this lifetime, but I want to tell you something. The real good stuff is going to come in the next lifetime. But regardless, I want to challenge you to trust God at his word. Accept his promises as fact and keep following him with your whole heart. It may not be that you're going to get a piece of land. You may not be that God's going to call you to take, some, take on some big giant or some big giant task. It may be that God is just calling you to just be faithful to your wife, faithful to your kids, faithful to your job, and just being a man after God's own heart. It may be that God's calling you just to be faithful to your husband, faithful to your kids, and just do what God's calling you to do. Just be all in with your whole heart. Single ladies, single guys, listen, Students, it may just be God's calling you just to be faithful, to walk in obedience, and to wait for him. Wait for him until he shows you what he has next. God's good on his promises. You get to the end of Joshua, Joshua 21. It goes to Joshua 24, but 21, it says, Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Number two, regardless of how far you have gone with the Lord, There is always more ground to take, more room to grow, and more mountains to climb. I know as a Christian, we we love to sometimes sit around and talk about our past, especially the past victories, and I'm guilty of that sometimes. I I love to tell the story of how God put me on my face in 1996 at the Promise Keepers Pastors Conference in downtown Atlanta, and and how he started Westridge Church with just 46 people in someone's living room, and how he found our land, and we could talk all morning about, you know, all the thousands of people that God, that we've allowed to see come to Christ, and, and the churches we planted, and the mission work we've done since 1997. And it's important for us to celebrate our history, and to remember what God has done, but you know what? We can't live there. It is what it is. It's history. We can't rest on past victories. We can't dwell on past successes because there are more mountains for this church to climb. There's still so much work to be done. For some of you, your greatest spiritual victories happened in your past. When you think of the greatest moments that you've had with God, maybe they're five years ago, or maybe they're back at a rush camp experience, or or maybe some mission experience that you have. But I want to challenge you this morning to stop living in past victories because your greatest spiritual moments could be straight ahead of you. They might be right around the corner for you. And like Caleb, you might be getting into your later years. Listen, I want you to know, as long as you're still breathing, God may still have great work for you to do. There may still be some ground to take or some giants to slay. Let's just trust God to keep using us for his glory to advance his kingdom until we breathe our final breath. I remember being a student at Liberty University from 85 to 88. And I remember Dr. Falwell would always, he would, it was like every semester there was a couple sermons, he would preach the same one, and we're like, are you really going to preach that same one again? But they were just words that as students stuck in our minds, and we still think about those words to this day. And one of the things that I remember him saying that I hold on to this day is this, is that God's man, God's woman is indestructible until he has finished the work that God has called him or her to do. Think about this for a moment. If we give up, if we walk away, what are we saying about who our God is? 
what we believe about his, his promises. See, either we become like these unbelieving Israelites stuck in fear, whining and complaining about our present circumstances or even our past circumstances, and we just end up marching in place, or we can become like Caleb and we can dare to trust God. Our greatest mountains as a church, as individuals, are probably right ahead of us. And we either stand at the bottom of those mountains and we'll just be paralyzed, maybe in awe and fear, or we'll be like Caleb and we'll go, just give it to us because, God, you've already promised to us It's mine. I'm taking it because you said so. Number three, even though you may feel that God has forgotten you, he still promises to bless those who follow Jesus with their whole heart. Six times in Scripture we're told that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Think about this. What a great testimony to leave behind. We're all obscure people. There's no royal folks in here. There's no famous folks in here, as far as I know. What a great thing to be said about you. What a great thing to be put on your tombstone. Followed me with their whole heart. When the opposition stood against Caleb and Joshua and just threatened to stone them, the Bible says Caleb was following God with his whole heart. When God decided not to bring the older generation of the Israelites into the land, God himself said, Caleb will see the land because he followed me with his whole heart. And here he is, 85 years old, 45 years after Moses told him he would enter the promised land. And the Bible says three times in Joshua 14, he followed the Lord with his whole heart. When I see Jesus walking around gathering his disciples and he calls Peter and Andrew, it says in Matthew 4 that they came and followed him at once and they dropped their nets. When I, when I watch him calling out to James and John, it says immediately they left their boat, they left their father, and they followed him. The fact that they dropped their nets, the fact that they left their father just simply means that they were all in. They completely devoted themselves to him. There was no half-stepping. The disciples went all the way. They were following with their whole hearts. D.L. Moody, great preacher, great evangelist of the past, he was working in a shoe store in Boston selling shoes. And a customer walked in one day, shared Christ with him, and said, the world is just waiting to see what God can do through one man who is totally devoted to him. That one spark ignited Moody's heart and started a flame that saw hundreds of thousands of people come to know Christ as their Savior. Moody's gone. Caleb is buried probably somewhere on a hillside in Hebron. But the way of faith that they lived is still wide open to us this morning. God still uses people who followed him with their whole heart, who trust his promises completely, even if you feel insignificant or obscure this morning. And this morning, you may, you may be one of those people right now. You feel like God has forgotten you, that he has overlooked you, that he is ignoring you. Let Caleb's story stand out to all of us this morning to remind us that God doesn't forget his promises and God will never forget those who follow him with their whole heart because he is faithful. He can't help but being faithful. It's one of his attributes. It's just who he is. Let me read one of the promises that God made to the Israelites. And as you hear it, you're going to realize that it's a general promise to anyone that loves him with his whole heart. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed good, is indeed God. He's the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his love on those, that means all of us, 
those who love him and obey his commands. God's not forgotten you. God's not ignoring you. You are not obscure in his eyes. You're not insignificant. When we choose to follow him with our whole heart to be all in, he promises to reward. It may not be in this lifetime, but it'll certainly be in the next lifetime. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, I'm so thankful that because of Jesus, because of the cross, we can stand here as the sons and daughters of God. No matter where we go, we're close to your heart. And though we stumble, and we do stumble, you will not let us fall. We are yours, and you promise in your word to never forsake your own, to never turn your back on us, to never walk away from us. You hold us in your hand no matter what happens, no matter who comes against us, no matter what life puts in front of us. We're the sons and daughters of God. 